This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 539 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Long box roulette round two. Ollie plays father figure. It's all plastic man. Make it so. Funeral for a friend. It's a wonderful earth. Yabba dabba do. And light at the end of the tunnel. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, April 26, 2020. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or you can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher where you can leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. With the great comic embargo of 2020 still in effect, we go to Longbox Roulette. Green Arrow number 30 from 2003. By Winnick, Hester, and Parks, cover price two fifty. We are in the middle of both a story arc, Straight Shooter, and Winnick's overall Green Arrow run. Oliver Queen was a major player at the time, at least in terms of the overall DC storyline, partially due to writers like Judd Winnick and Kevin Smith before him. GA is now an older character, which makes sense in the continuity, but can still do the vigilante thing. Queen now had a family of sorts, his on-off-again relationship with Dinah Lance, a.k.a. Black Canary, was definitely on, and a strange son with former love Shadow named Connor Hawk arrived, also using the the Green Arrow name. A former runaway named Mir Dearden was also living under the roof, becoming the new Speedy, and had recently tested positive for HIV. In this issue, Team Arrow is tracking down some pharma company that created monsters using an untested TB vaccine in Africa. There's also a bad guy named Draken. Ollie is still being unfaithful to Dinah with Investigator Joe, and Connor calls him out on it. Ollie checks in on Mia, who pushes him away. I'm not sure if she knows yet of the diagnosis or she's dealing with the trauma of that. Most of this issue is about relationships rather than fighting, which is to be expected from Winnick. During a short battle, Superman makes an appearance, thinking he's cleaning up Ollie's mess. Unfortunately, we get a girlfriend-in-the-refrigerator conclusion as Ollie finds Joe hanged in her apartment by the bad guy. It's never a good idea to get into a relationship with a hero, especially Oliver Queen. Plastic Man number 9 from 2004 by Baker, cover price $2.95. Plastic Man has an interesting history. He was introduced in the 1940s under Quality Comics, which was really more of a humor comic than a superhero story. Like many of the 1940s publishers, Quality Comics went bankrupt, and DC snapped up their characters in the 50s. DC then mostly buried the character, as they had their own version called Elongated Man, until the 90s when Plaz was given a spot in the JLA. 
he gained more importance in the 2000s and 2010s to the point where he became a major plot point in Snyder's metal fiasco. Anyway, Baker's style is very cartoony and would fit well in Mad Magazine, and he did work for them. It also works well for Plastic Man. There's a lot of fourth wall breaking. Woozy, Plastic Man sidekick, says that can't be Superboy since he wears a leather jacket which he did at the time in the comics. Later, Plas says he can't transform into Darth Vader or he'll be sued. The story surrounds his team using a time bubble to make sure Lincoln is assassinated and the timeline that they screwed up is restored. Unfortunately, John Wilkes Booth is killed himself in the attempt, run over by a horse. So Plas, then Woozy, and finally an FBI agent has to do the deed. In the melee, the time trapper escapes. It's all very frenetic. Star Trek The Next Generation, number 77, 1995, by Friedman, Purcell, and Pallet. The cover price was $250. Star Trek and comics have a tortured history. The original Gold Key series of the 60s had such poor artwork, it was difficult to figure out who was who. There were also comic strips, both in the U.S. and the U.K., with varying levels of quality. Marvel adapted Star Trek The Motion Picture and then continued a series from that point. DC would later run a series, starting after The Wrath of Khan, as well as a long-running TNG series, and this issue is part of that. Malibu did a DS9 series, and then Marvel returned to do DS9, Voyager, the original series, and TNG series. At one point, Wildstorm and then Tokyo Pop were involved. In the 2010s, IDW began doing various Trek series spurred on by the Abramsverse. Unfortunately, Paramount would not, and still do not, provide info on future projects to comic companies, so every time a new movie or TV show came out, all the continuity established in the existing comic would be jettisoned, and they would have to start over. Eventually, publishers decided to concentrate on older properties or in areas untouched by the mothership. Anyway... Michael Jan Friedman, a writer of many Trek novels, was helming this TNG series. The story in this issue ties back to the TNG episode where some technobabble extra-dimensional aliens invaded our universe, yada, yada, yada. Enterprise-D is ordered to investigate a new incursion as well as another ship. Of course, the respective engineers are both friends, and we get the classic grass-is-always-greener bit as they envy each other's lives. The other captain turns out to be there for revenge, as her brother was killed in the last incursion. In the conclusion, the other ship is pulled into the other dimension after trying to attack the alien ships. To be continued. It reads like a decent TNG episode script. This is an old enough issue to get a letter column. Probably a mistake to let a bunch of Trekkies tear apart stories with an, well, actually. Adventures of Superman number 499 in 1993 by Ordway, Grummet, and Hazelwood. Cover price is $1.25. We're in the Funeral for a Friend crossover, the aftermath of Superman's death that year. For those who didn't live through this time, it's hard to understand how big an event this was. The general public had no idea that Superman would obviously return in time. DC had way too much invested in the character to walk away from him. So there was hand-wringing in editorials about the terrible thing that had happened in the funnies. Comic fans knew, of course, that it would all be undone. It was just a matter of time. By the way, that Death of Superman issue you bought then, assuming you would put your kids through college on it? Not so much. The issue starts with Luthor being woken up by an alarm that something, gee, I wonder what, has been taken out of Superman's tomb. The more shocking thing here is that May, 
slash Matrix, a.k.a. the non-Kryptonian Supergirl of the time, was sleeping with Lex. Supergirl goes to investigate, finds the coffin gone, and a man-made tunnel leading out. We cut to Delgado, vigilante gangbuster, in front of Cal's memorial, accosted by the cops. Another cut to Mon Pa Kent staying with Lois in Metropolis. Of course, Lois has known the secret in this continuity for quite a while, and they're both worried about each other. The cops find a different tunnel that Lex had had put into the tomb after they saw Supergirl go into it, and Dan Turpin, a grizzled cop, goes in to investigate. Meanwhile, Blockbuster and Bibbo team up to stop some drug dealers. Turpin and Supergirl meet, only to find Kirby-esque underground monsters to fight. After a fight and explosion, they escape to the surface. The last shot is Superman's body at Cadmus. Dun-dun-dun! Earth 2, number 5 from 2012 by Robinson, Scott, and Scott. Cover price $2.99. When DC introduced the New 52 in 2011, there was a push to bring back the JSA, which was difficult because A, there was now only one Earth, and B, the JLA was already established as the first heroes. James Robinson, who had already established his Golden Age bona fides in the Fantastic Starman series and the Golden Age graphic novel, got the go-ahead to create a modernized version of Earth 2. Their trinity were killed, stopping Darkseid, while their Supergirl and Robin are stranded on Earth 1, becoming Power Girl and Huntress, as seen in the World's Finest series of the time. This left Earth 2 with no heroes, or wonders as they were called, until a new generation of heroes arrived. Green Lantern, a gay Alan Scott, Flash, Jay Garrick, Hawk Girl, Kendra Saunders, Mr. Terrific, who came from Earth-1, with Dr. Fate, the Atom, Sandman, Mr. Miracle, and Barda coming along. Down the line, after Robinson left the series, new versions of Superman and Batman were introduced. This Batman is the one seen in the recent Batman-Tom King run. Once Robinson left, the title started to fall apart, and it took a couple of miniseries to put it out of its misery. This issue shows the new Trinity, Flash, Green Lantern, and Hawkgirl, fighting Solomon Grundy, now in control of the Grey, a concept that Jeff Lemire introduced in Swamp Thing. Sandman Wesley Dodds is part of a government agency called the Sandmen, who saved the president from the Grey. There's also a world army, the result of a paranoid post-Dark Side world, who is running things behind the scenes. They discover these new wonders who have been flying under the radar until this point. The Army dispatches their own wonder, Al Pratt, a.k.a. the Atom, who seems to have damages powers. We also learn that Grundy is using up Earth's oxygen, leaving Earth 2 with less than one day to live. Green Lantern decides to go all astral to find the source of the Grey, leaving the others to protect his body. Once he finds it, the Grey asks Green Lantern to join them, and in return they will bring his dead lover back to life. Meanwhile, the Army decides to nuke Washington to stop Grundy. It's a really interesting story with very high stakes. It's just too bad Robinson got bored and left the title. The Flintstones and the Jetsons, number six from 1998, by Bush, Hansen, DiCarlo, Kupperman, Alger, and Lopez, cover price $1.95. Back before kids' comics had to be meta and reflect the latest trends, there were simple stories that could have easily appeared in a 1960s cartoon, and that's what we have here. DC did a series of Hanna-Barbera comics using the relationship with Cartoon Network, both, of course, owned by Warner Brothers. Fred and Barney go off on a dodo hunting trip and are forced to take Pebbles and Bam Bam with them. Of course, the kids end up finding the dodo nest and the family of dodos are taken back alive for Thanksgiving dinner. 
The Jetson story involves a shape-shifting alien who keeps turning in to the various Jetsons family members, all while parroting stuff it sees on TV. We never really saw a lot of alien references on the old TV show, but otherwise this would fit in very well there. I'm not really sure why I got this issue. Perhaps it was pulled in error and I didn't want to make a fuss. In any case, the artwork is pretty close to the original cartoons. Meanwhile, there's been some movement on the great comic embargo of 2020. DC announced there will be new comics available as of this next week. Two new distributors have popped up, and I mean popped because their web domains only existed as of a week ago, who will handle DC stuff for now. UCS will distribute on the East Coast. Lunar will handle the South and the West. Well, who are they? UCS is actually Chicago's Midtown Comics, a large local comic shop that is already doing some mail order. Lunar is actually DCBS, the largest mail order comic concern. Oh, and the comics will come out on Tuesday, not Wednesday. Here's the lineup of new comics for 428. And again, this is this upcoming Tuesday. Batman number 89, third printing. Nightwing number 70, second printing. Batman Giant number 4, a reprint of the Walmart offering from a few months ago. The Dreaming number 20, final issue. And Daphne Byrne number 4 from their minor Joe Hill horror imprint. So really only two new comics, neither of which matter to many people. It's clearly a beta test to see if it all works. It was trumpeted that many comic book store owners are finding new and creative ways to get books to the fans who want them, and pointed to a shop locator of those who have signed up. That would be zero in central Ohio. For these new distributors to be viable, other publishers would need to line up with them. But a report says that UCS, at least, has been approached by no one except D.C. So what about Diamond? D.C. will still ship through them, but will no longer be exclusive. Basically, D.C. gave back the promise ring. Diamond has announced they will go live again as of mid to late May. There are conflicting stories about their DC inventory. DC says they have canceled all existing Diamond orders. Diamond says they did not cancel and that they have all the issues in stock already. Our local comic shop, Pack Rack Comics in Hilliard, Ohio, hey, Jamie and Teresa, have announced that they will remain with Diamond and plan to reopen as soon as they are allowed to do so. We look forward to returning and shopping more. All right, before we get out of here, it's time to play America's Fastest Growing New Game Show. Guess who's on the cover of Entertainment Weekly? Are you ready, Mark? I we am ready. do have an Entertainment Weekly this week. Gosh. We don't have any new comics, but we have a new Entertainment Weekly. Wow. Are you ready? Yep. TV related? Yes. Is it one person on the cover? No. Is it two? Yes. A man and a woman? No. Two men? Yes. Um, are they both on the same show? Yes. Are they actors? Yes. Are they under 30? No. Are they under 40? Um, they're probably on the cusp. Um, are they on a show on broadcast? Yes. Uh, on ABC? No. CBS? No. NBC? No. Fox? No. CW? Yes. I think I know who it is. Okay. It's the cast of Supernatural. It is. Yes. And who are they? Uh, Jared Padalecki. Uh-huh. And the other guy. Okay. I'll give you that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That show's kind of in a weird state right now because it's the last season, but they didn't finish the work to get the final episodes done before all this started. So 
Yeah, I don't know. I haven't read the article, so I don't know what they're planning on doing. But The rumor is they will do a shortened, like maybe TV movie-esque final season next fall, assuming we actually get new TV by then. Yeah, and and they, they really do need to. They, they need to finish out the planned story arc. Oh, yeah. If you have a 15-season series, yeah. you don't like, oh, well, well, we just didn't get around to the end. Yeah. No, you really need to finish it in some fashion. Mm-hmm. Maybe a comic book. I don't know. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.